Welcome to Bitcoin Optech newsletter 214 recap. We'll be going over our latest newsletter from yesterday with a few different uh, special guests to hopefully chime in. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm a contributor at Optech, and I also am the executive director at Break. Merch? Hi, I'm Merch. I work at Chaincode Labs. I write for Optech newsletter sometimes and usually review it. And um, I, yeah, I write about Bitcoin in various avenues and work on different code bases. Rodolfo? Hey, uh, I'm Rodolfo. I co-founded CoinKite a long time ago. We make a lot of the stuff that you use, like the code card and the SATS cards and the OpenDimes and all that stuff. In the block clock that's it, it, that's behind everybody during their their YouTube interviews. That, that's right. You're not you're not a, a real Bitcoiner without that, right? Well, I guess not. I don't see one <laughs> behind the shelf behind me right now, so uh, oh. maybe someday. <laughs> I tend to fail one. almost all of the purity tests. I guess I'm not a Bitcoiner. Well, but you okay, have your own merchandise, so that's okay. I think you, that, that qualifies you if you have your own shirts. Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's jump into it. Uh if you all want to follow along, just bring up the, the newsletter, bitcoinops.org, or your email that you hopefully got if you're an email subscriber. Um, I don't know if we want to start with the, the channel jamming if we don't have Antoine on and if he's able to eventually get on, even though he's listening. Do, yeah, let's, let's go to updated silent payments first and then see what happens. Okay, great. Uh, so silent payments... There's been an update to the silent payments PR, so we should probably overview what silent payments are. And silent payments are a way to use a sort of reusable address instead of uh, a single address that's available on chain. You, you provide sort of this off-chain address to someone who wants to send Bitcoins to you, and they use that, they tweak that address to a unique uh, receive address that you can use. Um, and that's the use case there would be something like publishing a donation address. You, you don't want to publish a single donation address online and then get 400 donations that are all somewhat linked to one another. So you can publish this silent address and then folks can derive uh, receive addresses for you from that. And therefore you have sort of unique payments for uh, each one of those transactions as opposed to having them all in the, that same address. And so one use case is, is donations, and then there are other use cases like so, something like a recurring payment where you don't have to actually provide uh, a new address each time to the person sending you the funds. You, you can derive future receive addresses from that initial uh, shared key. Merch, do you want to correct or augment any of that? Um, I think maybe we could get a little bit into the mechanism of how the recipient actually knows that they got paid because you do not pay the actual published key. Right. And I think that that's interesting. So obviously if you reuse addresses, that's very bad for privacy because any 
reuse of the same script pub key will make it immediately obvious that the same entity is involved in a transaction. Uh, however, if you publish a pub key, uh, somebody can use their private key to generate a shared secret. And um, essentially, some of you might have heard of the Diffie-Hellman handshake, which is the observation that a public key multiplied by a private key uh, of the other party gets the same result as a private key multiplied by the public key of the other party. So uh, public key and private key versus private key and public key of the uh, corresponding parties can uh, derive a shared secret. And you if I remember correctly in Ruben Thompson's proposal, you communicate the um, public key that the recipient should derive the shared secret with by uh, the change output that you pay. So you pay to yourself in a specific public key, uh, using a specific public key, and you use the corresponding private key and the public key that was published to establish the silent payment address um, to derive the shared secret. And the recipient uh, checks for every transaction they see whether the change outputs public key with the private key they pub uh, that belongs to the published silent payment address creates a shared secret that they can use to spend the payment. So, um, not only is it still locked only to the recipient, but nobody but the sender can notice even that a payment to a pre-established secret was made. And nobody can discover that the same silent uh, address was used ever before. The overhead, of course, is that you have to um, scan every single ad uh, payment that fits the schema. So how is this different than, let's say, BIP-47? Uh, I believe in BIP-47, the difference is that you have to publish the secret on-chain by making a special transaction that sort of establishes the seed for, for all the... Um, or sorry, no, you publish your own key in either a registry or on your website, and then whoever wants to pay you needs to make an announcement transaction where they basically establish a shared secret. Um, and uh, the, these announcements are uh, can be recognized as belonging together because they, they need to make a small payment to the um, recipient's uh, key. I think. And then the actual payment later is secret. So there's on-chain overhead. It's it's kind of awkward with the um, with the announcement transaction and uh, the privacy is not as nice as with this new proposal. But uh, I, yeah, if somebody here knows that I'm wrong, they should totally let me know. Are there other use cases other than uh, the, like a donation address or the idea of uh, recurring payments where you don't have to interact after that first uh, giving out of, of that um, address that, that you can think of? Well, I think generally if you have an interaction, there would be better ways. You would just share a, a descriptor with the sender and 
you you could just generate a new descriptor for everyone that wants to send to you, and you know that they'll only send to that, and then you you only have to track the addresses from this descriptor, right, with some gap limit. So if you have actually an interaction, there are more more efficient ways. I think this is specifically for cases where you don't have an interaction at all, or like a just one directional interaction. They visit your website, for example, and then they can already pay you. And so specific to the newsletter this week was the PR was updated and there's some discussion around uh, descriptors for silence pay silent payments. So, so some proposal for uh, an, an SP descriptor. And it, it seems like there's some discussion on the PR about that, which is, which is part of the update this week. Um, I think there were some other items in there as well. Um, but do you, do you have thoughts on the, the descriptor discussion around silent payments, or are you familiar with that, Merch? I'm afraid I have not dived that deep into it. Okay. Um, well, if anybody has questions on silent payments or some comments to add, feel free to, to raise your hands and we can give you the mic. Um, but otherwise, I think we could probably move on to additional topics. Since we have uh, Rodolfo, Maybe it makes sense to move on to the monthly segment where we cover changes to services and client software. So uh, this is one of the monthly features that we have on the newsletter, which is uh, relevant to Bitcoin technology changes ecosystem. And so this is actually something that I put together each month um, and I have a, a list of a bunch of links in a Google doc of, of various services and software that uh, I check on GitHub and other news locations um, and try to vet the, the most relevant ones for the newsletter. Um, so we can go through those pretty quickly. There's four this, this month, um, but I think Rodolfo can also augment some of that with some of the stuff he's been doing with, uh, the Bitcoin.review project. Um, so the, the first one here is purse.io adding lightning support. So I think it was a, a month or so back, purse announced uh, a beta test for lightning. And it sounds like that went well because in a recent tweet, they also published that they actually will be supporting the lightning network for deposits uh, and, and withdrawals, which would be receiving and sending. So you can go both ways on the lightning network with purse now. Um, Purse is a service that allows you to sort of put in put in Bitcoins and put in an offer and someone can essentially take your Amazon order and pay for it for you. So you can use your Bitcoin and Lightning to get a slight discount on your Amazon orders. And so they've, they've added Lightning, which is great. Uh, that seems yeah. like a win. Yeah, the, that, uh, the, the Purse project is interesting because <clears throat> a lot of people use this as a means of getting non-KYC dollars uh, uh, using the Amazon gift cards. Uh, there is like a whole economy of, of gift cards as, uh, as a means of, of not doing bank transactions for, for U.S. denominated uh, dollars. Is that, why, is that how the discount is achieved then? Because I, I know you can like so, request the discount. Yeah, so so essentially, for whatever reason, you got paid in gift cards. Uh, you want to get rid of the gift cards because you don't need more crap from Amazon. You can go there and sell your Amazon gift cards at a discount. 
uh, uh, to somebody else who wants Amazon gift cards uh, and is willing to part with their BTC um, for them at a discount on their Amazon purchase, right? So it's kind of like a, a win-win for everybody. Yeah, it was nice to see them integrate that. I, I know that um, they have a, a variety of payment methods, some alternate altcoin funding over the account. So it's nice to, to see Lightning there. And they're, it, by my recollection, they're a fairly popular service. So it's nice to see them integrating Lightning. Uh, the next one on the list was a, a proof of concept implementation uh, that is a, a, a coin join implementation using this Nostr protocol, which I had been seeing on Twitter but hadn't actually looked into until this project was released. Um, so this uh, developer, I don't know, 1440000 bytes, uh, developed this jointster it, and it this is a proof of concept this is not something that should be used uh, per their recommendation is a coin join implementation using this protocol so this this protocol is a public key relay network and it doesn't have a central server um, and so it, there's there's a link in the the newsletter to this protocol that for you to read more about it um, I, I don't have an intimate knowledge of it other than it's a, a way to sort of relay information within the network in a censorship resistant way that it, that also has some some protections um so i thought that was cool i haven't used the software myself merch or rodolfo i'm not sure if you've looked at that particular uh proof of concept or have any thoughts on it i, I just looked at briefly it seems to just be sort of like a really nice uh very uh, general purpose protocol, and I think they use like Lightning as a means of uh, of uh, prevent spamming and, and all that stuff. Um, it would be nice to have a, a decentralized coordinator for CoinJoin. I think that's uh, that would be a huge gain there. Merchant yeah, conceptually, I think, yeah, what Rodolfo said, uh, the the idea is a good one. Um, there have been a number of different proposals on how to get multiple users to be able to create transactions together. Uh, the idea, of course, is to, to mix the transaction pedigree of the UTXOs that are um, spending a transaction together because one of the most successful heuristics in uh, analyzing Chain traffic is the common input heuristic. If they're spent together, they're likely held by the same entity. Um, but uh, yeah, I have not looked at this specifically. Um, I've yeah, let's leave it at that. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, Rodolfo, I'll let you take this next one since it's cold card related. We're talking about 5.0.6. Okay. The change that we out changes that we outlined here were actually 5.0.5, but there was a uh, 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 oh, hang on. I have to look. I think there was another one after as well. <laughs> well, the reason I put the 5.0.6, I think it was a, a fix, and I didn't want to put it 5.0.5 if there was some sort of uh, issue with 5.0.5. So uh, this is the one. Yeah, yeah so yeah. let me just open here the, the release notes. Let's see if I get the right one. So yeah, so the, the 5, we found a bug uh, that could have unknown sort of like exploits. So we sort of fixed that one quickly and highly recommend people to 
uh, to upgrade, and then we had to skip um, the the features because they were not ready for that release. And then the the five point zero point six, sorry, the the five is sorry, the five has the features. The six uh, was a security fix. So the five. Uh, so now you can derive passwords using BIP eighty five. Uh, so that was a nice little improvement there. Can you can you talk uh, a little useful. bit about BIP BIP eighty five and and what what is the use case here exactly? Yeah. So. So BIP85 is a way, uh, it just defines a way for you to derive uh, uh, new seeds from an original seed deterministically, right? So, for example, you say index one, uh, and it, you're going to get a new seed from the original seed. And you cannot go backwards, right? So the, the original seed is safe. You're not exposing the original seed, but you get a new one. And it's, you know... Uh, the, the index, I think we support up to a thousand indexes. Um, so the, the nice thing about this is most people who work in Bitcoin, uh, in wallet development or any sort of development needs to create a lot of wallets and a lot of seeds. And you have to keep track of all of that. And it's an absolute nightmare. Uh, and the other thing is uh, most people in this space also have multiple wallets in phones, for example, with less balance, with like balances that are not too big. So the idea, at least for us, the way we see BP85 is it's just a means of generating seeds for for places where you have less value um, so that you don't have to create more backups. So I go on my phone wallet, I input this derived seed as the seed for that phone wallet. And if I lose the wallet or whatever, I can always just you know, reconstitute that wallet somewhere else by putting that same seed. Um, and we figured, hey, you know, we could also make passwords from this. So if you have a, a set of secure passwords that you want, uh, you can create these passwords from the original seed as well. Uh, you know, this is not ideal for your email, for example, but it's more like, I don't know, the, the password that encrypts your SSH keys, for example, or, or things that of more importance that you would go check on that code card. Um, so yeah, we found it to be super useful. The the users seem to really, really use this a lot. Uh, so we wanted to just expand on it. Cool. And That's... then I saw that there was Opreturn, additional Opreturn support and multi additional multi-sig descriptor support. Um, you want to talk a little bit about those at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, it just, we, we were not, like, we could, we were failing because, uh, I guess a little bit of background, like, code card doesn't just sign stuff, right? Um, it does checks, sanity checks on transactions, right, to make sure that everything looks kosher and somebody's not trying to do some obscure attack on you. Uh, so we try to catch a lot of things that don't look right and op return uh, because it's not something that's used a lot. Uh, it was it was sort of like getting caught in our defenses, so we decided to just essentially make that into a, a proper described feature in our tests uh, for transactions. So now it, it, it correctly does that. Um, yeah, and then, you know, the multi-sig descriptors, uh, people are now using them with core, so we wanted to, to properly support and document that. Excellent. Yeah. 
uh, and then from that list, um, so yeah, we now imported the scripts as well. And uh, and now on the address explorer, you can show change as well, which is kind of nice as a sanity check as well for when you're doing very large transactions. Uh, so yeah, that's that's that on uh, on the code card uh, last uh, feature update. All right, uh, I'll go through this last one in the newsletter, and then I want to hear a bit about uh, some of the things you guys are talking about at uh, Bitcoin Review and some other software that maybe isn't, you know, optech newsletter material, but is important innovations in the space. So I'll finish up with this last one and we can move on to that. Uh, so Nunchuck adds Taproot support. So I, I had come across this in their mobile wallet uh, for iOS. I, I am not 100% sure if it applies to Android as well, but there was support added in recent releases for single signature taproot, uh, signet support, and then additional PSBT support were added. So those are the kind of things that I, I think uh, in 2022, we're seeing more and more of uh, the taproot. Uh, signet seems to be catching on and being implemented in a, a variety of wallet software. And then, you know, PSBT is is quite important with especially with a lot of the multi-sig catching on um so it was good to see that from nunchuck rodolfo or merch i'm not sure if you have any comments on that nunchuck update yeah my understanding was that nunchuck from the get-go was targeted towards multi-sig users and um i think originally they they also were considering launching tablet only which i think uh, just given how some how how the sending support for Bash 32M is still lagging a little bit might not be the optimal business choice for any wallets yet. Um, so yeah, I think before PSBT it was just super painful to to exchange half signed or or unsigned transactions because basically everybody was just using their own non-standard format. And with PSBT, there's now basically a maybe not perfect standard but a, a standard with which everybody uses the same language to talk about not finalized transactions and i think that we with a broader adoption of psbt and descriptors we will see much more powerful and versatile wallets in the uh, medium run maybe it'll take a little bit for people to come out with cool stuff but we'll see very cool stuff in the next few years merch uh why would I want to use a single SIG taproot wallet? Uh, in my opinion, it is still economically advantageous to use a single SIG taproot wallet because if you're using pay to witness public key hash, the output is slightly cheaper and the input is more expensive. And altogether, pay to witness public key hash in total is like one and a half V bytes smaller than, than pay to taproot. But if you are receiving to a pay to taproot, the sender pays for the output, so they're paying the 43 bytes, and you're paying only for the input, and the input is uh, uh, 57.5 instead of 68 V bytes. So you 
you pay less. So in my opinion, you should always receive to pay to taproot, and especially if you don't know how long you're going to sit on your jigsaws and they might need to be spent later at high fee rates, you should huddle in pay to taproot and not in pay to witness public keyers because it'll be the cheapest to spend. And if multi-sig adoption and general adoption of pay to taproot goes forward in a way like we've seen with SegWit, where after five years, um, more than half of all outputs are SegWit, um, you will have a very good anonymity set eventually when you spend them. Excellent. Um, so, Rodolfo, I think in a previous discussion we had you on and, and we mentioned the Bitcoin review project that you're working on. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that and then also get into some things that you guys have talked about recently that maybe aren't on our list for this month? Sure. So Bitcoin.review uh, was the, the podcast of it was kind of born out of the, the frustration that I had with, uh, with all the, the, the outcoiners, shitcoiners saying that nothing gets built on Bitcoin. Uh, that was sort of really annoying because Bitcoin has a lot of stuff being built. It's just that a lot of the Bitcoin, the stuff being built on Bitcoin is not full of scams. So they have less marketing dollars and they don't get as much uh, exposure. So I figured I'd make a huge, huge list every two, three weeks of all the stuff that people are working on that's not necessarily core and uh, and sort of do the laundry list, right? Go through their software updates, uh, go go through uh, uh, projects that are maybe not yet launched but are being worked on. Uh, and, you know, we do discuss, we do discuss like some of course updates or coming updates that are more related to, to client software um, or things we're just interested in. It's, it's not super structure except for the list. Uh, and the domain is uh, Bitcoin.review. I try to put all the stuff on the actual uh, uh, post notes as well. So people can, can review it. And, and we did sort of go over some optech stuff as well uh, in, I think, the first three episodes um, before you decided to have a competing uh, voice solution for optech. <laughs> are, are you talking about the client service updates section? Uh, uh, yes. No, I was just joking. Um, to be oh, fair, yeah, we've no, had it, it for like a year, like a year or two, but... Yeah. No, very, very. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no. Um, it's uh, it's just nice to to have like people sort of discuss Bitcoin projects. We don't see a lot of that, except for people doing that on on Twitter. Uh, and the the mailing list uh, was a little bit unusable for a while due to uh, many discussions related to fees and other things. Uh, and people tend to not bring up client software on the mailing list either, right? So there just seem doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, a lot of ads for people to to release and talk about client software. Well, th thanks for putting that together. I know that the this go around. I not not only is there a podcast, but there's you you guys also have a write up, um, a text version, and I actually uh, used that as one of my resources this week. So thank you. Um, in conjunction with the no BS Bitcoin. Uh, Twitter handle that also covers uh, news and some software updates. It's, a, it's good to see that, that there's a, a burgeoning community sort of trying to surface these these newer innovations. Yeah, so, there's a, quite a lot. Yeah, go ahead. 
Sorry, no, I, I thought we were finished with the topic. Yeah, I think we are. Okay, Great. well, I wanted to um, announce that uh, we managed to get Antoine up here, and uh, I think we could now start looking at the channel jamming attacks and mitigation news item. Yeah, hi guys, do you hear me well? Yep, we can hear you. Do you, do you want to give the folks a quick introduction to to yourself and, and your work in Bitcoin and as well as the, the work you've been doing with Gleb? Uh, yeah, we quickly, I'm a Bitcoin core and Lightning DevKit contributor. I've been active in this space since 2018 now, and I've worked like mostly on Lightning security work, a bit of Bitcoin core architecture and all that kind of stuff. And today, like... I think we're going to talk about challenging research, which is one of the most high impact and long-standing issue affecting Lightning. Excellent. Well, I, I think it would make sense, Antoine, to maybe walk through um, what you guys have written up, as I think it's also a good good um, progression from, hey, what what is this attack to what are the costs to what are incremental solutions to what are... Uh, bigger picture potential solution. So maybe you could kind of go in that order and if folks have your um, website slash book up, they can follow along with that. And if not, it'll be a nice progression just to listen along anyways. Does that make sense? Sure. Uh, so to provide more context, Chen Jamming was started to be discussed on the main list like back in 2015 under the name Loop Attack. And for the ones who are not uh, familiar with that type of attack, like basically in Lightning, you do have like payment path and you do have like a topology of Lightning channels. And the idea of a chain jamming is instead of releasing a pre-image to set out the payments, your uh, last op is going to withhold the payments until like almost the CLTV delta. Uh, expiration time and by doing that uh, you prevent people to use this liquidity for other payments and you are just dosing the network so let's say you do have Alice Bob Carol and Dave that's a payment path which has been drawn by Alice and Alice in collisions with Dave is going to try to uh, abuse the liquidity between Bob and Carol by sending an HTLC to Dave and Dave not setting the HTLC at all. Uh, you do have like multiple variants and optimizations about this attack, like you can do looping, you can do rebalancing, uh, and you might be able like to target multiple ops at the same time. Uh, do people have more like merge, more suggestions or like more like thoughts about first describing jamming? No, I think it's it's pretty good. So basically, you're just making a payment, and then instead of removing it, you keep it open for as long as possible, and you lock up liquidity. Yes, yes. As a fundamental reminder, lagging is like building on top of time locks, like Bitcoin script time locks. And the one we're using in that case is a CLTV, CLTV one, which is like based on absolute time or absolute block height. And uh, in Lightning right now, like, you want the CLTV to be like few blocks ahead and you want to increase like this uh, CLTV at each, you want to, uh, so that's a bit like theoretical hard to get at the first time, but the CLTV is going to decrease along the path to give a buffer of time for 
payment apps involved in HTLC to be able to set up the HTLC on chain in the worst case scenario. And a giant jamming attack is based on abuse of this CLT time. So the attack has been demonstrated like on mainnet few times by a few people. I think Yuzeger have done some, uh, Gleb has done some. And like you are able like to target like anyone in the Nani network because we are an open network. And you might be also be able to do wor uh, worst arm like cutting or partitioning the network in multiple subsets by targeting like you know the main link on the network and like beyond like um being partitioning the network change i mean can be also used as a bidding block in like probing attacks to denominate people or any kind of like resource exhaustion attacks let's say you're going to exhaust your watchtower credits or to like destroy other people's reputations by making like their lightning service unavailable, uh, and so you do have like you do have like multiple arms which can be done with change jamming, liquidity uh, DOS is the main one, and from that, in in that research we have done with Gleb, we have tried to come up with a cost. You know, first first step like trying how much it costs for an attacker, and so. Merch, you, you you know really well the mempool. So could you have like ideas of where the cost factor of a tangent attack or? Well, so for for example, of course you have to actually have some channel liquidity, and yep. you have to have created channels in order to lock up funds of other users, and yep. you have a opportunity costs. You could be routing payments instead. You could be, I don't know, uh, trying to leverage your, your Bitcoin holdings in another way instead of um, jamming users. So I guess the cost would be that. I don't know if there's more cost than that. Yeah, I think I should cover all of them. So first, uh, there is one you, you I think forgot and we didn't talk about in our model is like the ancient yeah. fees. To, I'm not sure uh, if it was raised, but the on-chain fees to be connected to the network. And here's the thing, if you're an attacker, you do have an edge because you can open channels and like low fees periods and then leverage them to attack people like during high fee periods when it's more annoying to like modify your channel topology to react to jamming. So we do have on-chain fees, we do have opportunity costs because basically it could be used to rot, uh, to do honest running of HTLC and earn watching fees. And you do have also like a minimum liquidity, uh, which might be a function of which implementation you're using. Like implementations might have like a lower bar in the sense of I'm not be able to open the 2000 such channel. And once you do have all like those factors, you're able like to determine like how it would cost to, for someone to cut someone from the network or like let's say like do like more network wide attack. Um, so to give you quick numbers, like we, we find out like in function of uh, in function of your like jamming strategy network wide, we found out it will cost you like right now to DOS the network with March 2022 network data like 418,000 uh, sats in terms of pure sat spans and two uh, two millions eight hundred to twenty sats by month in opportunity cost. So that's and that to, 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 to jam the whole network, just 400,000 sets. So you will jam 20% of the channels and it oh, will be okay. able like, to partition the network in a way it's unusable 
Uh, That's a I little too cheap for my comfort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you would be able only to send HTLC in your own partitions, but I mean, like, you're like writing a go, then it's going to be uh, uh, confused far, far before. Okay, so um, we have uh, a little bit of a description of what jamming actually means. We, we've covered how low the costs are for the attacker. Uh, what sort of design space do you have for solutions against this attack? Uh, how can we defend ourselves? Can you give some points? So, I mean, I mean there is like a first step. Uh, first steps could be like, could we find like easy to deploy solutions, like not by nodes and not network-wide? And there is one of them, we, we did express few of them. Uh, you know, one could be like, basically with jamming, like there are two types of jamming. There is like slot-based jamming and amount-based jamming. And with slot-based jamming, like your goal as an attacker is only to occupy all the HTC slots of your target uh, channels. And right now, like it's 483 by default, but uh, I think most of the implementations are running with lower defaults, or at least for the Lightning Dev Kits, I think we are like around 50. Um, because there are other implications with Dust and all that kind of shit. But um, like one like incremental solution could be like to say, hey, we are going to demultiplify the number of slots on the fly. So each of the 483 transactions could be like some commitments with a higher number of 483 uh, outputs. And that way, like you will like increase like the liquidity requirements from an attacker to like occupy all your slots. Um, I think it would also help to, for example, have a minimum HTLC, right? Because if uh, you yeah. try to to jam all the slots, the idea is that you have a huge number of parallel payments on the channel, which then would exhaust this 483 or lower minimum. Yeah. And uh, if you don't route small payments, of course, they have to put up more funds to jam your slots. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the main intuition on which is based on another incremental solution, which is like HTC slots. And the idea is like you're going to reserve, uh, you're going to device your whole HTC slot space in range, and you're going to request higher level of HTC amounts, like or higher like pair partition HTLC minimum amounts. And that way, like you're going to also increase like the liquidity cost. Uh, for oh that. yeah, that's a good idea. You just progressively increase the amount that you require for another HTLC to be occupied on your channel. And yeah. that way dynamically you raise the liquidity requirement to, to exhaust slots. Yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, and there's like a working progress implementations by Eclair. But can you think about like one downside of this approach? Well, if there's natural uh, small payments occurring, you'd obviously yeah. uh, lose uh, ability to do more of them. So uh, it might be a fine line to walk to actually be able to, to process all the natural payments, but still be resilient to a jamming attack. Yeah, I, I mean, like, you might argue against like these solutions, like, uh, we might decrease the throughput of small value HLC routed across the network. And I think in long term with like the increasing price of Bitcoin, it means like more and more like real world users are going to be like uh, are going to be annoyed by like this HLC slot ID. 
but even like beyond like that lisbon side like it's just like increasing the liquidity requirements for the attacker it's not like it's not like uh, hard uh, hard breakers against attackers like yeah it also doesn't really increase the cost just uh, the liquidity requirement and the opportunity the requirements. Cost. yeah, yeah, um, yeah how about uh, so we we have this one solution approach uh, i see that there there was this idea of introducing fees before a payment goes through, so fees for attempting to route. Is that part of your solution set? So, like this, like, like there is like the family of solutions known as upfront fees, where basically with change, I mean, we are like wasting, like we are wasting people like uh, uh, liquidity time value. Like we are making it, we are provoking you to use your capital in an inefficient way. And to compensate against like this risk, like there is this idea of introducing an upfront fees, which would be paid to cover the risk of routing fees not being paid a posteriori, you know, after the fact. And like this upfront fee would be paid by the HTSC sender, and each op in its turn should pay an upfront fee for the next op. And there is like few variations of this ID. One is to make like this upfront fee space in wall at the start. One is to like make pay a tiny amounts for the tiny amounts, and then at each block or at each like minutes, like to require people to pay more. There is also like the idea of who is like you know like with an HTLC payment pass, who is responsible of setting the HTLC in case of fear? Is it like the sender? Is it a receiver? Is it someone like anyone uh, among the payment pass? And the real hard thing is like, it's hard to assign them in Lightning. You know, you, you might be like super honest in all your HTC send, but the receiver might be dishonest or might be buggy or might be lazy. lazy. And that can be the same with ops. Uh, so with Yeah, basically like, one of the biggest problems with the upfront fees is that uh, sometimes payments don't go through on the first attempt anyway, and it will just generally make uh, trying multiple routes more expensive. Yeah. And yeah. Um, some people might actually grieve just by uh, sometimes failing unnecessarily just to get the upfront fees without actually locking up funds at all. And so the the the, the game theory of it all is is non-trivial, <laughs> I think. Yeah, it's confused. Like we, we might misalign the incentives between like uh, HTC Sanders and routing ops. Uh, like say we do have a risk of upfront fees being farmed by dishonest routing ops, but that could be like compensated by reputation spam. You know, by like more fancy scoring algorithms, like seeing that someone is like deliberately like failing HLC. Uh but. More fundamentally, we think that with upfront fees, you're just like closing down the economic, uh, the economic openness of the network. And since now, for whatever, like you said, uh, payment path attempt, not success attempt, you are going to pay. And a lot of people like might see this, this as a UX burden and as like like a too high economic burden for unlike the HTLC standards. So uh, between the three solutions that we sort of got into, making just the liquidity um, 
requirement higher charging up front fees and yeah. I think we touched on reputation a little bit now and none of the solutions are super enticing but the problem itself is also um, maybe currently not not enough of an issue that that we need to hit it with a hammer immediately so it's sort of like uh, you you have something like four things that you can suffer through and which is the least uh, bad right uh, if uh, like you, what's your question exactly oh i'm just recapping uh, i think yeah. we also need to do you have something else that you want to add i think we, yeah, yeah. we so, might so want I, to take a few more minutes for the last items for sure so like, i think you're raising like an interesting point seeing like right now we don't see this happening but on the other side right now like no one is making money on writing fees or like not real money or like not enough to cover like cost of exploitations or like and the day where watching fees start to be more market is going to increase and sometimes for people like to DOS like competitors because like all the routing ops are like in competition on the network in theory. Uh, but there is like at least two other trends which might change uh, the game. It's one, uh, you know, like currently we're seeing people like starting to specify LSP services like uh, instant channel in bond liquidity and all that kind of things and offline receive and you know like LSP might attack each other uh, they might just like try to economic outlaw the competitions with challenge I mean in the really same way we have seen like this trend in in Minecraft servers you know like if you're like curious like Minecraft server has been like really competitive and has been like a wide west where people like just like trying like do BGP attacks or uh, attack cloud servers to turn down like other people's services. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting point to, to say that as the market or the, the service industry yeah. gets gets more involved and there's more money to be made, that there's more incentive to attack. And obviously we want to think about that in advance and have ideas about what the game theory will be like. Yeah. And, and there is like, really quickly, there is like a really second trend is like, uh, you know, like people might be familiar with discrete lock contracts, or they might be familiar with peer swap, or they might be familiar with affinity bonds based HTLC or other invoice. And all of those like lightning use cases are using like long, uh, long old CLTV delta or like uh, lengthy CLTV delta for the use case. Let's say you're doing a DLC and you're bearing on the results of the next NBA game uh, next month. And to do that, you might lock up the liquidity for months. And from what your viewpoint is saying as an honest user of the liquidity, from the viewpoint of the routing ops, it's just going to be like spontaneous jamming, like without any like uh, maliciousness uh, intentions, you know? And so if like, like you see people like would like to deploy on top of lightning, and a lot of people would like to deploy like more advanced use case on top of lightning. And like we might like uh, we might hit the points where like if we don't like solve chain jamming like people are not going to use capital efficiently on lightning due to new use case and like those use cases are just going like to like uh, you know if DLC are not paying for like the length uh, for the length of the CTV data they're using they're just going to outlaw like simple payments. So. Yeah, although, I mean, in, in your example, of course, if there's a settlement time of more than a month, 
the routing hosts might have already a maximum HPLC yeah. timeout that they accept. Okay, thank you for joining us. Um, I think we might go back to the notable code and documentation changes and releases. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, that sounds good as we have a, just a few minutes. Antoine, thank you for, for joining us. You're welcome to stay on and, and opine on some of these lightning updates as well, but it's very valuable to get uh, these experts like yourself opinion on, on these items. Uh, and I, I applaud you and Glove for putting together this piece of research and also doing it in a way that's fairly accessible um, to everybody. So thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, in terms of notable code changes, the, the, the first one we have here in the newsletter is Bitcoin Core 25504. And it's a change to a bunch of the RPCs to include additional information in the RPC response. And in this case, it's adding uh, the descriptor to the output. So right now, ad address information is included in these RPCs, but the descriptor that was used to generate that output is not included. So what these, this change does is it, it adds another field which includes the descriptors of the associated um, address or, or output to, to that RPC so that you can see which of the descriptors, the parent descriptor was responsible for that particular address. Merch, anything to, to add there? Yeah, so does this mostly RPCs that list transactions or, or mm -hmm. which addresses got or UTXOs got credited? And uh, the idea here is, of course, if you have multiple different descriptors, which seems very likely to be more common in the future with uh, watch-only descriptors and uh, the hardware wallet interface, then you'll still be able to figure out, oh, where does this UTXO actually belong to? Cool. The next update was for Eclair 2234, and we've covered this, I think, in a previous discussion, but support for adding uh, a DNS uh, name. So I, I think we, when we covered this previously uh, in Bolt 911, that the motivation was that, yes, there, there is some information being provided uh, in, via the gossip, uh, but one way to sort of validate that would also be able to be looking some of these things up via DNS to provide an, an additional check. Um, that, that's my understanding of these sets of changes and the Eclair has implemented that uh, in this PR. Uh, Antoine, I'm not sure if you have a comment on uh, this whole looking up uh, via okay. DNS. Uh, which, uh, no, not this one. Okay, we can move along. Uh, the next one here is LDK which maybe Antoine is a bit more familiar with, and, and that's support for Onion Messages. And Onion Messages is also sort of a prerequisite to supporting offers. So Antoine, do you want to talk a little bit about Onion Messages and offers briefly? Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Uh, onion Message, like, basically, like, we did introduce, like, uh, Onion Message in Lightning to route HLC in a privacy preserving way in sense of you know neither the receiver or the payment ops should be able to guess who is the sender and to do that like we just reinvent like what Tor is doing somehow and at some point like people are interested like to do like to send message uh, 
you know, we start to see like some applications sending message across the network with zero HTLC or one SAT HTLC or like failing HTLC. And uh, people at some point were interested like, to abstract like, this onion message to carry on like more like lagging related informations. And one of them is offers, which is like an upgrade of invoice and which is like adding a bunch of new features like reusable invoice, uh, proof of payers, uh, proof of payers keys to dissociate even from not the key, I guess, and a bunch of other features which are available on the bald12.org website. And that's, uh, that's will be like an overhaul on, on the way we're doing like payments requests on the 90 acre today and move like from like a bunch of different standards towards like something unified across implementation. And they use work in progress in all implementations. Uh, if I may, so there is a way, or if you want to pay somebody on the Lightning Network, you generally cannot just send them money because it's not like on-chain where it's non-interactive, but you do have to have an invoice for the recipient so that they'll actually know later uh, how to... Yes, I was going to get to that. So, so far, you do it by key send, where you basically just encode all the information that the recipient needs to, to cash in the payment in the last hop. And when the receiver peels that last onion back, they, they learn the secret with which they can execute the payment so that the money gets pulled in. And... Um, the problem with that is that the sender already knows the secret that the uh, recipient is going to use to to initiate the payment cascade, and that is usually the proof that payment has that the payment has happened. So in a key send payment, there is no proof of payment, and with an offer, you basically have now an in-network way of asking a receiver, "Hey, could you give me an invoice?" They send back an invoice, then you make a regular payment, and now you have an invoice and a proof of payment, uh, and you can still do. Uh, sender initial, like the sender can initiate the payment still. And so the, the onion messages are the mechanism by which a communication outside of just payments is, is coordinated on the Lightning Network to facilitate things like offers, but also potentially other types of, of non-payment messages. Exactly. Cool. Uh, next item here is LND6596, which is just a new RPC that lists wallet addresses and, and current balances. I think that is more of a convenience thing than anything for folks using LND to just use LND and not have to use LND for some things and then a, a node RPC to, to get additional information. That seems to be the motivation there. I don't know if anybody has comments on that. Fairly straightforward. Yep, let's move on. Great. Uh, the, the last one is is a Bolt update, Bolt uh, 1004, um, recommending that nodes maintain information about channels at least 12 blocks after a channel is closed. And this is in support for detecting of splices uh, when a channel isn't actually closed, but there maybe are funds being added or removed from that channel in an on-chain transaction. So this is maybe another opportunity to have Antoine talk a little bit about maybe not just this bolt and the 12, 12 block wait, but also what's going on with the splice. Uh, so we quickly like a splicing the idea of uh, you would like to add like Liquid, uh, 
liquidity capacity in a channel and or like exit liquidity capacity because you're not using like the full like uh, the full weight of it uh and what you're, you're going to do is like you're going to have like a transactions either like spending the funding output and splitting the funds in two outputs one to carry on the channel operation and the other ones to exit funds and you might have like n outputs and that's a splice out or you might have a splicing where you're going to spend a funding output and you're going to spend another utxo that you want to the value to be added to your channel and that's splicing and um and with both those cases, we would like the chain reputations to be carried on across the splice for the routing algorithms. And right now, the routing algorithms, we are going to use a script up key to identify the channel. And, you know, if your channel is behaving well, like, you can assume that a splice, a splice channel is still going to behave well, and you'd like to keep the score high. And to do that, uh, I think that's the idea of uh, bot 1004 where you have to wait uh, 12 blocks before deleting the information about it and during like those 12 blocks you should expect a new channel announcement or update about the splice I think that it's like might not be correct because it's still working for us excellent yeah thank you for the color there Antoine Merch anything to add on splicing yeah maybe I'll try to recap uh, for people that are not familiar with it. So when you close a channel, usually the funds go to the two channel channel participants. But what if you have most of your funds locked up in channels and you do want to do an on-chain payment? Then you might want to do an, a splice out. So instead of closing a channel, waiting for your funds to be spendable, then creating an on-chain transaction to pay someone, and then after that, opening a new channel, potentially even with the same uh, channel partner, you basically use a shortcut and uh, one of the two outputs of the closing transaction directly creates a new channel, the other one pays the, the splice out recipient. So you you save on blockchain data, you save on fees, and uh, you immediately reconstitute your channel. And with a splice in, it's similar, except that you use funds to, to add to the balance of the channel. Although I guess in that case, you could also just open a second channel with the same participant, although not all implementations support that well summarized merch anything else to add for this week uh no i think we're we're through right um also yeah no that's it all right well antoine thank you for creating what appears to be a burner twitter account to to be able to join us today rodolfo yeah. like likewise thank you for joining us Merch, Thanks as always. Thank you for co-hosting. And uh, look forward to having you all join us for 2.15 next week. <laughs>